Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter season to all of you as the light of Jesus shines on us today from Genesis chapter 1. That's right, we are starting from the very beginning, a very good place to start. Not with ABCs, but the very first book of the Bible. Not only is this foundational to everything that we know, is it doesn't stop in Genesis 1. We don't nitpick every single word all the time. We do need to do that. But also we see the connections throughout the whole Bible. It gives us an identity as as created beings of an almighty God. It helps us understand our world and to see it through different goggles, but also our understanding of Christ. So today we get back to the very beginning, get back to basics. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information lhfmissions.org. Helping us be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back Reverend Pastor David Duke of Concordia Lutheran Church and St. John Lutheran Church in the Buffalo, New York area. Pastor Duke, um, happy Easter and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Oh, thank you. It's a delight to pile in from the wet and cold of turkey hunting to be warm and well-fed along with you. Uh, it's, It's my pleasure. Well, Pastor, it's a great joy. Oh, I'm going to ask you this, though. My secretary, she's a turkey hunter, and she's had the great luck. And maybe everyone has this kind of luck. I'm not sure. But she goes out, and for and within an hour, she has a turkey. She goes back home and sleeps in her own bed. Uh, do you have that kind of luck in turkey hunting, or what do you have? Well, the Lord has granted me other, <laughs> other luck this year. <laughs> and I think perhaps I'm enjoying his uh, his creation to keep with today's theme more than I am uh, the, the bounty of the harvest. <laughs> Should we put it that way? <laughs> no, I know her, her story is not the normal story. So I just figured I would ask you and see if yeah. that was true. So Pastor, anything else going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Concordia and St. John? Well, we're chugging along here. We're up in the Buffalo region, and uh, I think uh, we'll be... Uh, this prop, this uh, sorry, this broadcast will be uh, out. Is still in 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 um, close proximity to that uh, horrible thing that happened, the evil that that man has, uh, young man has committed against uh, the people here in Buffalo. And uh, our churches are gathering uh, to do good, to make good out of it, as God does in these things. And you know, I maybe invite some of our listeners if they would like to do something to check in on the Eastern District. Uh, website. We have uh, things set up there to help those who are mourning and sh- in shock of, uh, I mean, just evil. This is pure evil that this man did. Yeah. And forgiveness for him, I suppose, is is really important uh, in the same way that that church in South Carolina forgave their assassin, their murderer. We should forgive him. And that's where you not only pray um, for forgiveness, but you also pray for the family connected to this man, mm. um, because they that name will forever be etched into people's memories, and so that family that goes with them throughout their whole lives, and so we pray for them as well. You know, and Pastor, on that note, can you begin our time in prayer um, and praying for that, and also our study of God's word? Oh, sure. Uh, let us pray, dear Heavenly Father. We acknowledge you as our Creator. And we ask you to help us believe that we are created human beings and that we are part of a great grand scheme and a great grand design that you have put forth 
most uh, most importantly, that you put us in weakness in order to send your son into weakness that he might redeem us and rescue us and bring us into everlasting glory, which uh, we will study further uh, as we go this morning. Bless us in your creation and bless us in your word, which created it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text, I'm sure you do in Genesis chapter 1, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. How we're going to begin this morning is reading all of Genesis 1, and it's it's quite a daunting task. I do remember when I worked at camp, actually in upstate New York, and they had a Randax pastor, which is on the other side of the state from you, mm-hmm. um, Camp Sunrise, and and there they had a theater week, and you had somebody they had the kids just play out the scenes from Genesis chapter one, and I thought that was a very good just etched in my memory and the understanding of God's glory and the beauty of God's creation, especially when you're in the mountains, um, to remind us of hearing that. And I remember it specifically because it was the first time I really had read through the whole thing at one time, not read but had heard it all the way from beginning to end. So I invite you as our listeners. First of all, we hear the words this morning, envision the beauty of God's creation. And secondly, which will be our challenge today, how do we see Christ throughout? So let us uh, begin hearing the word of God, Genesis chapter 1. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, Plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and 
let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, which with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living creature every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you everything, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning the sixth day. This is the word of our Lord this morning. And Pastor, Genesis is where it all begins. How do you want to start us off? Well, uh, Pastor Finnern, in as much as one does not simply walk into Mordor, (laughs) one one does not simply walk into Genesis 1. Not that Genesis 1 is evil. Of course, it's very good. But boy, there's a lot to do here. And you have to be careful where you even begin. And uh, even though Genesis 1 is the first page of the Bible, we really don't read it as the first page of the Bible. Um, We read it with a confession. So, for example, I confess that Jesus is Lord at the very simplest and most profound, uh, you know, fundament, the foundation of reading the Bible, which is going to give me a different reading of Genesis 1 than, say, if I were to confess that Allah was God and Muhammad was his prophet, or again, if uh, I thought perhaps that uh, uh, evolution were the way to read Genesis chapter 1, that if perhaps I'm a, an atheist, I could be a militant atheist that thinks that Christianity is all lies, or uh, as I have a dear friend in New York who's an atheist but thinks that Christianity is on the whole a good thing, but still kind of silly that we think that there's a God, I'm going to read uh, Genesis 1 entirely differently. And so coming back to the Lord Jesus, we're going to, we're going to read Genesis 1 as Jesus is Lord, confessionally, beginning Genesis 1 verse 1. And so as such, you know, I'm going to ask myself, <laughs> you know, I wonder if Jesus actually says something about how to read this. And he does, in general, how to read what we call the Old Testament, which was the Bible in his day, and also in specific about creation in, in uh, well, 
specifically in specific. So like uh, in general, we look at uh, the words that Jesus gives us in uh, his resurrection. Well, in Luke's resurrection account, he's, he's repeating himself. So it seems to be important. And so uh, I'll read the end of the, basically the resurrection day and the immediate aftermath. And it's kind of c- convenient that, uh, let's see, I think today we're recording this, uh, even though it broadcast on Monday. I don't know if I just uh, broke the, the fourth wall there or uh, <laughs> pulled back the curtain, <laughs> but it's Ascension Day. This is Ascension Day, and this is closely associated with Ascension text, and that has a lot to do with Genesis 1, believe it or not, that Jesus ascends into heaven and fills all creation with his bodily presence in a mysterious way that we don't understand. Here's what he says about reading Genesis um, from Luke chapter 24, 44 and following. He said to the, the apostles, to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that would be Genesis, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And by the way, this is a repetition. Like I said, this is the fourth time we've heard this, but the second time in particular, when he opened their minds on the road to Emmaus or at Emmaus and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that a repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, and so forth. And so we have an actual template how to read. We read that the Christ should suffer and that a forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Right, so we're going to read Genesis one in that way because he says so. Uh, that's uh, one of those things that's sort of like, whoa, well, I didn't know that. For for you know, for me, it was having been taught this by some someone else, and then when I teach it at a seminary level, I'm the professor for Old Testament at this at this uh, Concordia Theological Lutheran Seminary in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I commute there; it's about thirty minutes from my house. And also at the parish level, when we kind of we kind of think about this, like what what are the implications? Hey, this is a lovely framework. It's not wild and and crazy. It's not wild and chaotic when you approach something as difficult as uh, in its beauty as Genesis chapter one, and in again through two and three, and really all these uh, uh, difficult passages of the Old Testament in the Psalms and in the prophets, and of course here in Genesis, uh, Moses. It's, a, it's, it's eye-opening and also comforting. I know how to do this. I can do this as long as I cleave to a Christ who suffers and then forgives, right? To, be, to use shorthand, I'm going to be all right, okay? And then you, you kind of wonder, well, where else is this? Well, if you flip the page from Luke chapter 24 in your Bible to the next page, you, you get John 1 verse 1 where the apostle, so it's not just Jesus, it's also his near apostle, he does the exact same thing. And he says, uh, I'll read it just to make sure I'm not paraphrasing. Uh, in the beginning, well, that's that's the same thing as Genesis 1.1. So John is telling us how to read Genesis 1. Was the Word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So the apostle John, the evangelist, actually teaches us that Genesis is about Jesus. And so we read. So we can kind of go into Genesis 1 now. I'll pause here. I imagine there's already a, 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 an awful lot of questions that might be coming up. I don't know. Do you have something you want me to clarify here at this point? Well, and this is, and this is why, and, and this is something that you've emphasized uh, in, in our previous study, and, and also very clear that we, that we proclaim here on KFUO and in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is that nothing is done without a context, and there's a broader broader understanding of everything that if we just read a little piece of it, you lose, it's like a diamond, you lose a major portion of what is all there. And to me, this is like a painting on a tapestry of, of if you just show it a little piece of it, then you would miss out on the beauty that is there within. And so for us, the interpretive key, as you mentioned, other religions, is that understanding that in the beginning, we have to remember that there is, the beginning was the word, mm. much like you teach confirmation, um, you say, okay, when did Jesus, when, when was Jesus around? It's, it's a tricky question. And these poor <laughs> seventh grade students, as they're zoning out after a long day, they're like, uh, I don't know, Christmas. Right. <laughs> and so, so to understand that Jesus was there before, you know, there at creation just opens up a whole new perspective of the Godhead of, of the plan, if you will, of salvation, the the, the understanding of us being a creation, all that, that's the interpretive key. So yeah, you bring it back to the um, the resurrection of Jesus. You bring it back to John chapter one. I mean, it opens up the whole Bible in a beautiful way of understanding his love and grace, even from the very beginning. So I, I love how you're starting us in that way. So that that's what I just want to rehash. And for you, our listeners, to remember every time you read Genesis, to always keep that in mind. Anything else, Pastor? Yeah, well, there's plenty else. I think, uh, you know, you kind of you kind of got onto it. As we're born, and we're born without a real knowledge of God, and I, I would argue that we're born uh, created looking for a creator, we just still, you know, because of the, the uh, power of sin, have no way to access creation uh, and God. And so we have to be taught. I think without being taught, Creation just sort of happens, and the older you get without being taught, the more you get convinced that, well, the sun rises in the east, and the sun sets in the west, and ever was it, and ever shall it be. It just so happens, right? But what we have in Genesis 1 is, no, what we have here is the beginning, right? God acted. He created it. There is a God and there is a creation. There is a beginning. And this sort of flies right in the face of an awful lot of what you'd probably call natural religion and then the religions that are sort of built around natural religion, whatever, whatever uh, it may manifest itself around the world. This is, this is unique. This, this declaration that God said, let there be light. And there was light. There's nothing like this. There are things that have close resemblances, but we don't want to get into that because then we're going to get off uh, off the beaten path of Christ and his salvation. But then again, here we have let there be light. And, and St. John is reminding us right away, hey, you know, the word, God, he gives this light and he was the light that that shines in the darkness and so on and so forth. 
Now, uh, we have to be be real careful. I like to pause at certain places and not go where the logic makes you go, because uh, as you, you study how the early church kind of wrestled with this and, um, and, and how, well, as the late church is wrestling with this, you can commit a heresy pretty quick if you take let your logic take you all the way, because eventually you have to have a complete separation. And this is what is being done here in Genesis of God from his creation. So you have to be real careful about how you talk about things, even though you've got, uh, you know, John instructing you and, and uh, Luke instructing you. You want to make sure you keep God separate from his creation because we are separate from God in that sense that he made us. We are not him. Uh, and again, I'm going to stop right there because I know well, well, uh, well-read Christians are going to say, yeah, but... But we're not going to do the yeah, but <laughs> we're going to keep plowing ahead until we get to the point that I want to make, which is uh, which is that we're going to have this repetition. There's this God speaking, let there be, and then there is. And apparently, if you kind of take the the context, like, for example, let's grant whatever the argumentation might be. Let's grant that this was written by Moses. And it, you know, could have been handed down from Abraham or somewhere else. But this was written and crafted by Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, let's not get away from that. Apparently, this is, uh, you know, written around the time of the Exodus and the, the, the wandering in the wilderness. There was some question, and I think it's the universal question. Uh, well, who is God? What does he do? Is he uh, of his own will, or is he bound by will the wills of other gods? You know, the pantheons of the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Egyptians. Well, no, there's this one God, and he acts according to his own will, and he does whatever he wants. As Luther says, there is no one who is more free than God. There is only one free being, and that is God when it comes right down to it. He's so free that he creates everything. And, and as John says, I love it, you know, the, the quadruple, quintuple uh, negation. And there was nothing that wasn't not made, that wasn't not made being, you know, <laughs> through that whole, that whole run that John has uh, such a habit of doing. There wasn't anything that wasn't made except it was made by him. You know, that's what's being done here. We have a God presented to us. Now, uh, going further, um, when we talk about how God is doing uh, things, we're going to kind of blow right through, as you said, and through this repetition, and God said, let there be, and God said, let there be, and we're going to stop. We're going to put the brakes on because we have something different uh, in the uh, fourth day. Um, but before we get to the fourth day, I, I kind of skipped ahead of myself. We're going we're gonna to stop at day, uh, at day, uh, at, at, sorry, verse 10. So listen, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas and God saw that it was good. What we've had here for the first, say three or four days, but especially these first three days, it's, it's very much emphasized is division. So we have the chaotic world, uh, the, the chaotic nothingness, 
and it divides. Well, God divides it, and then he divides again, and then he divides again. This you will see again in the account of the Exodus. There is a division being made in the sea, the Red Sea, and the Israelites cross over it on dry ground. This is, this is a recapitulation of creation, except it reads back. So the rest of the Bible, including the prophets and the Psalms and the entire New Testament, looks at the Exodus and the language that's given by the Exodus. And so it's reasonable and actually useful to look at Genesis 1, even though it is the inception, the beginning, a God who comes and makes it happen from nothing. This is given in Exodus terminology. This is the, the world that is Moses' world. The Israelite world is this great salvation event, the mighty arm of God. And not to miss that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That is absolutely key to understanding it as a salvation event, a salvation event. Uh, in as much as it is a creation event, because you have the evocation of the wind blowing over the Red Sea and making a division to create dry ground upon which his people cross over into safety, <laughs> the safety of the wilderness, albeit it's still away from the forces of death and chaos. That's what's being done here, is this grand connection of the creation to the great salvation account or the great salvation event that dominates the rest of the Bible. It even gets into the, the transfiguration of Jesus when he, when he and Moses and Elijah are talking about the exodus that he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem, referring to his death and resurrection, of course. And we have this in our, in our language when we talk about death and resurrection at the funeral, a basic kind of human uh, activity dying and being buried, we talk about it in, in Exodus terms. This is the way you go. You cross the Jordan River, you cross the Red Sea, and in, in you go. This is a salvation event. And of course, when we have it associated with Jesus himself, it's not real hard to make these leaps. It's not really a leap at all. It's just sort of like this, this easy step to the person of Jesus, who is our Savior, you know, as we have it divided up in the creeds, uh, that thing in uh, that thing in the um, the Nicene Creed, where it says, you know, and by whom all things were made. That's in the second article of the Nicene Creed, and so you have the salvation, uh, the salvation event, closely tied to the creation event. Both of them are salvatory. Give us God's grace. And this is something that really is helpful that first of all, Genesis one is, is, is the beginning, as you mentioned, but it's not alone. There's interpretation, there's salvation, there's redemption, there's creation. And then as you mentioned about the Holy Spirit, there is sanctification in this as well. So all of it comes together in this perfect text from our Lord. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter one with Pastor David Duke and we'll be right back.
This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 1 with Pastor David Duke from Concordia Lutheran Church and St. John Lutheran Church near Buffalo, New York. And Pastor, there's so many connections. And I, and I would encourage our listeners that as we're going through this today, to use the interpretive keys that Pastor Duke is using, because um, to go back to it, I have done this almost every year in Confirmation. I have them read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because it is so foundational to everything that we have throughout the Bible. And it's so much fun, because every time I learn something new, there's something new in there. And it's really important for me to go back as I teach and as I learn myself, the interpretive understanding of the triune God, the interpretive understanding of the, the, the salvation. And I've never thought about this, is that connection of separating the waters, um, bringing us back to the Holy Spirit, the wind that, that brought salvation to the Israelites as they crossed across, crossed, uh, went across the Red Sea. Um, you take all of that together and you see this self, I mean, God was saving his people and he knew he needed to save his people from the very beginning. And that's what we have to remember all this, all this, the salvation that we have in Christ. Pastor, any thoughts on that as we looked at the really the first 10 verses um, so far? Other thoughts? Well, yeah, um, that was, I kind of got ahead of myself there a little bit about the dividing language and then uh, which verse I was as actually on. The dividing language is important because we suddenly, uh, we're suddenly going to get into something called wisdom literature, division, uh, that, that there's a word in there in Hebrew, habdil. You, when you divide things up, you're actually committing wisdom. Um, and this creation uh, motif, I'll call it a motif, a, the creation motif uh, gets um, appropriated by the biblical wisdom literature, which is, you know, stuff that's big and deep and hard to understand an awful lot. Uh, we don't have much of it in our Sunday readings you know, for the most part, um, we don't do very much Proverbs. We don't do very much in the way of Ecclesiastes and a handful of other things because, well, it's just big, hard stuff. It opens this world of this this dominating God and this creation that is huge and over. It's like, for example, we have uh, in Ecclesiastes this constant refrain, under the sun. Mm-hmm. That is a creation uh, motif very much so, and there's a reason why he does that. But it's in here, right here in Genesis one. But first, before we get back to Genesis one, we're going to make a detour to Proverbs chapter eight, where we have this wonderful Proverbs uh, chapter eight. By the way, is seminal to Christian doctrine. It's it's that um, one substance with the Father uh, in our in, in the Nicene Creed again, and it and it's echoed. <laughs> the Nicene Creed is echoed by Jesus. Of course, it's the other way around where Jesus says in that great good shepherd discourse, I and the father are one thing, right? And so we say he was one substance with the father. This comes out of Proverbs 8 as well, where there's this long 
kind of discourse about creation and wisdom personified, which is lovely poetry and a, and a wonderful kind of image. And then all of a sudden, uh, the author jerks the wheel. Uh, and we're going way off and we don't, we're not doing, uh, we're not doing the personification of wisdom anymore. We're doing the incarnation of wisdom. And we're like, Hey man, uh, Proverbs guy, I thought we were just kind of going to get groceries. And he's like, no, we're going mudding down the river. Now this is big, big stuff where it says something like, uh, and it's really hard to translate. It says something like, and, uh, I was there beside God rejoicing in his handiwork. I was there, right? And over and over again, I was there. I was there. And it's it's this person, this other person. And I'm desperately trying to fill time here whilst I find Proverbs 8 in my Bible. Here it is. Uh, it's toward the end while he made this. And so it's like it, it, the references to all the things that God made. But then the focus is when it's I was with him, I was rejoicing in his inhabited world. And that has a reference to the people and delighting in the children of man, right? And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise. There's this wisdom thing that goes with it. Now, here we have the personification in this, like I said, we're jerking the wheel over to incarnation, which is a whole different ballgame. Up in verse 15 of Proverbs 8, recognizing uh, the influence of Genesis 1, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Now, that's how Proverbs talks about creation. And if you, we could do this forever. If you go look at Psalm 8 with regard to the creation of man, what is man? What is the son of man that you'd care for him, right? One of the great Christological centers in the Bible. You have the whole creation acknowledged. I look at the works of your fingers, the, the work of your hands, and I, and I just wonder this thing. But then it's given in terms of authority again. It's authority that is being given, and that is uh, drawn straight out of Genesis 1 again, where you have this the brakes put on, and we just sort, sort of screech to a halt. This repetition of let there be, and then evening and morning stops for just a second, and we have the first reason given. The rest of it is just, well, God did this. Okay, God did this. And now we have, in verse 14, on the fourth day, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Why? To separate the day and the night. And why are we going to do that? Well, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Huh, that's interesting. And then skipping down to 16, we have an editorial remark. And God made the great two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. We have the introduction here of lordship, the idea that there are authorities and powers. And that is how the New Testament regards creation. Whenever you, whenever you see the word creation in any kind of uh, extended discourse in the New Testament, especially say something like Paul in Colossians chapter 1, it's always with reference to authorities. And I, I bet you a dollar our listeners 
uh, uh, are beginning already. It's like, oh, that's right. The 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 powers of the the elements of the air, right? The the powers of darkness, all those things. Yeah, that's here. This authority, this notion that there's authority uh, given over us. That's the Ecclesiastes. Look it. You've got this gift from heaven, the, 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 the preacher says, this gift from God to do some work under the sun. Don't think that your work is going to do anything for anybody for very long, and it's certainly not going to penetrate the heavenly realm, but it's a gift to you from God to just work under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. It's not futile in the end. It's a gift to you from God. You have eternity in your heart. He just doesn't want to tell you how to get there because Jesus is going to bring you there, right? That thing. Um, getting off on Jags now, but you see where I'm going. You see all this stuff happening. And then you kind of proceed through and you read and you keep seeing, oh, there's a repetition of that. And it's in the making of man. And St. Paul, again, ap the apostle loves this. This is the Ephesians where he says, uh, the, the wives, <laughs> should I <laughs> <laughs> wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up to death in order to present her to God as blameless, to the father as blameless in the day of the reckoning of all flesh or whatever. I'm, I'm mangling it hopelessly. You go look up Exodus or uh, Ephesians 6. And then he says, I'm talking about a great mystery here that Christ and the church and marriage go together. Well, yeah, it's a great mystery. This is a wonderful mystery that the male and the female have divided up the image of God. And it's another division word, right? And so you have division, 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 and division in authority, even because this is fourth commandment, first commandment stuff. <laughs> Are you following? Come on, keep up with me. This is this is the stuff that Genesis one actually does. It just sort of presses you through this, like this sieve, and you come out on the other side, just like, whoa! Did you see that? There's authority there. It's divided up. How's it divided up? Well, it's in male and female, and and you're asking yourself, well, how is this pertinent to today? Well, think about where is Satan attacking right now, in our culture right now. He's trying to efface the, the division between male and female. That is the fundamental debate we are having in our culture today. But this is where God puts his image and his authority. Now, see, see listen. So he's created the image of, of, of God in male and female, which would be, as St. Paul says, in a mystery, Christ and his church, the, the Christ giving himself up and the church submitting herself to him right? That thing. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here we have these authority words, subdue it and have dominion over it. So even as much as we are under the authority of the sun, we have these limits to our will, essentially. You also have authority over it under the sun. We have authority you know, a lot of times we call it stewardship, right? We have stewardship over the earth. We're supposed to take care of it. Yeah, but we're lords over it. Uh, we are lords uh, in the image of God, male and female, authority, fourth commandment, take care of the earth. Why? Well, because that's the place where you, uh, you worship God right now. Uh, that's the place where you call upon God for help. That's where you hear from God in his word. That's where you're going to get married and have authority. That's where you're going to... Uh, 
to to have a a a, 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 a life. You're going to create life, procreate. You're also going to uh, have an honorable marriage bed. You're going to uh, make sure people have the things that they're supposed to have that are gifts from God. You're going to take care of each other's reputation so that they can earn a living. And you're going you're gonna to be satisfied with what God gives you in his creation. It's all there in this whole uh, uh, division of authority. There, I'll pause there. I think it's pretty good. I liked what I, I just said. Well, that's, I'm glad you're, you're confident in that. <laughs> So, so Pastor Duke, one of the one of the as my head is trying to catch up with everything because often what we do when we teach this is that we we see those words and you like you said in verse sixteen and and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Our first reaction, which we 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 have, I mean this we do think this way and it is important for us to understand is okay. Well, that's the sun and the moon and the stars. And so you're like, cool, I got it. And then we move on. Hmm. And the word that we completely overlook is the word rule, the rule of God and how that happens throughout the scriptures. Um, and, 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 and the understanding of authority, um, and to be able to look at male and female, the way that you brought that up, the separation, but the unity that is there and our current culture, to me, this really brings us back to that identity. We often will talk about, you know, we're creations of the Heavenly Father. We're a child of God, identity, baptized into Christ, forgiven by his blood, you know, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk this way. And, and to be able to see that even, I want to say dig even deeper, and that's what you're doing for us today, dig even deeper, that understanding not only am I created, but I'm created by a God that rules, a God that has all authority, and that he has given me all these things only by grace. And we can stand on that foundation even more the way you've looked at Proverbs 8, the way you've looked at Exodus, looking at Colossians, all of that, I just overwhelmed by how much we can speak about identity in a culture today that has lost theirs. So this is, I mean, I think it's digging, digging even deeper than just, wow, that's cool. That was the sun and the moon. All right, cool. Let's move on. Hmm. You know, there's, there's more to it than first meets the eye. Pastor, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, and it, and it isn't, doesn't end there. And I, I kind of <laughs> evoked Satan. Now, Satan, as you all know, attacked right there at that division. And he said, you'll be like gods or God or whatever it is he said. Um, and then they, they, they saw that they were naked, which we kind of in our post-Victorian uh, uh, pietism still sort of blush you know, a little bit. And we always draw them with the fig leaves and stuff like that in, in paradise and in, in the... the uh, in the garden there, but that's exactly, he, he attacked, Satan attacked right there at that division. And he's been working so hard ever since then to, to make that division close back up again, because it has authority over the earth uh, in procreating, uh, which is a, a way we serve one another in that um, marriage bed, right? Um, we're, we're creating, there's creation happening. We're participating in it. And then you think about the big one, the big temptation. You know, it's, it's, I know it's Genesis 2 and I'm, and I'm 3, and I don't want to steal from the other guy's thunder uh, uh, who's coming after me. But you have – Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you Just have, you, have the, the, you, you go into the big temptation, right? 
and Satan claims lordship for himself. He says, it's mine. It was given to me and I give it to whom I choose, right? And that's where that's where Jesus really, and especially in the way Luke tells it, uh, really, really hammers on Satan because Satan does that coy thing where he, he, uh, he tricks all of us. We're all susceptible to this. Isn't it written? It is written, right? And he's echoing Jesus. Again, he's, he's a, a facsimile, a counterfeit Jesus. And, and Jesus hammers him and says, it is said. You know, this is the creator talking right back to the tempter. It is said, right? Love the Lord your God above all things or whatever it is he says. You shall worship the Lord your God only, right? And then to switch gospels, um, you have Jesus who suffers everything and he goes throughout the land in Matthew's gospel, right? Uh, redeeming the land, the earth, so to speak, in a, in a very microcosmic way. And he comes back from the dead and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which I think is, well, I don't think it's, I think, I think you have a pretty strong connection here to Genesis chapter one and this lordship language. And not only is it a lordship over the earth in the stewardship sense that we have here in loving your neighbor and loving God, as I kind of outlined there in the Ten Commandments, but also he takes it up and he is now uh, above the sun, so to speak. Uh, he, he has authority that's over it all. And uh, he gives it to us, you know, go and make disciples. And we get to leave uh, creation, which says to me, by the way, that when you have a beginning, you already had, because uh, <laughs> God is a good writer. He's not like... Uh, he's not like Martin there. Uh, our, our, what is his name? Uh, who wrote the game of Thrones and got lost and can't find the ending. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you have to, yeah. uh, lost analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so he, it, we have a God who actually has an ending in mind and he can call himself alpha and omega. I am the beginning and the end. He is it, you know, uh, it's not just sort of like there is a beginning and the end. He actually is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He he had in mind an end when he made the thing in the beginning. He had it in mind. I don't know that he assumed sin. That's the stuff we don't really understand when it comes to change in the heavenly realm and what was going on in the mind of God and the omniscience and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that when you say in the beginning, you also include and then there will be an end when we're not under the sun anymore, uh, the S-U-N sun. We will be under the S-O-N sun, of course, for all eternity and, and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. No more cycles, no more rules, uh, freedom, complete and utter freedom, uh, worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God. And this is where when Jesus, as you mentioned in Matthew 28... Um, behold, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Ooh, yeah. And so you have that end portion of that. But then that's that's something for us. Like you said, there's a beginning and then there's an end, which is how we think of language, especially in our culture. But how do we as Christians then look at this beginning and we often will say there's an end, end of the age, but yet there isn't an end. In in all intents and purposes, how, Pastor, how would you how would you put all that together? Well, yeah, I think if if you're actually if you open up the huh, Genesis one, the very beginning, and you read in the beginning, and you know that there's an end coming, you also can kind of do the math and say, well, what if the end is already here? 
because the Jesus actually says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And it's a, it's echoing things throughout the Bible. The end of the world is already here. Well, how do I know it's already here? Well, several ways. First of all, judgment came on the cross. And secondly, uh, forgiveness came from Christ, which are marks of the end of the world. The prophets and Moses say this. The end of the world is marked by forgiveness and judgment. It's just that right now we're sort of waiting for the, as St. Paul puts it in, in eight, uh, sorry, Romans eight, St. <laughs> Paul says, we're waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's not, we're waiting for them to show up. We're waiting for them to be revealed. And he's referring to us believers. We already are in the end of the world. Uh, and that, by the way, Romans 8 has a close association again with creation because he's talking about how it's been set under futility and it's groaning and we groan with creation. Abba, Father, when do we get to go home? And we're waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. You're already in the end of the world and you're bringing the end of the world wherever you go. And uh, you're also bringing the beginning of the world wherever you go, which is, uh, and I think I was going to leap on this earlier, but we had to take a break. The constant notion of renewal, the fifth Sunday of Easter where, where we are uh, in Ascension Day, there's this notion of renewal. Behold, I am making everything new. Forget the old, it's new. And that's another biblical theme that is really closely associated with Genesis chapter one. This thing he made is new, even though it's old. And... The mercies of God are new every morning, which is another repetition, evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the sixth day. Yeah. And so as you look at this, uh, uh, Pastor Duke, we get to a, a certain words that I think are just really good for us to keep remembering. So uh, he ends with, and it was good, even says uh, later on, is very good, mm -hmm. for example, on the sixth day. And this, this language is, is very messed up in our language today. We have about, about six minutes left in our time. And I wanted to touch on this because it, I think it's an important piece of it. When we look at that word good, he's speaking about creation. Very good. He's speaking about that, that day. What does that mean for them? What does that tell us about God? And what does it mean for us? Uh, say that again. Uh, there was a little bit of a digital kind of artifact there. Oh, right? sorry. Catch what you said. So basically, when it says it was good, what, what is God saying? about his creation and what does that mean for them and then what does that mean for us for them oh for i mean sorry when this when this was written when the beginning of, in the old testament okay and, and what does it mean for us too i mean it's kind of doing both hand on that yeah uh i think again you know if you kind of cleave to jesus and take care how far away you get from him right don't get far you have this this uh this, um, it, it, again, I, I kind of lean real heavy on Johannine theology and Jesus, um, Jesus, um, his discourse about himself being the good shepherd, right? You have this, this notion that God has poured himself. Uh, I, I see there's heresy waiting there on the other side of that sentence. I'm going to stop right there and pull back a bit. He has poured his love into this creation of his and, and and he fills it up with his love mercy which has you know the wrathful thing uh, right on the other side of it but it's slow to anger right 
because of the sinful part. And we're not going to talk about that. But I think what we have is um, the same thing as Jesus kind of says. Well, he says it directly, but I, I'm making a tenuous connection here. He says, look, this is kind of like the anxiety and the unhappiness that a woman feels when her hour of labor comes. It's, it's hard. This thing that God did for six days was hard. But then when the baby comes, you forget all about the agony. And she's ready to have another baby. Uh, uh, because of the joy of bringing a human being into the world. right? And I think there's that focus. It's, it's not the stuff. And Jesus is sort of flipping about that. It's another thing he says. The thing in particular he says about creation is heaven and earth will pass away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then on to the next thing. But my word will remain forever. I, I think what, again, through throughout Holy Scripture, throughout from the Old Testament all the way into the New, it's giving birth to man and understanding male and female. That thing must have been painful and hard, and God poured himself into that labor. Oh, there, that's not a heresy. He poured himself into that labor, and he could stand back after it was all done, after the pain of, of birthing creation was done, he could stand back and say, man, this is really good. You know, uh, and I'm, I'm, again, just sort of like, I don't want to commit heresy on <laughs> live radio, but it's just like he poured himself into this. It, I, and that that's why that metaphor keeps coming up on the lips of, of Jesus and the lips of, the, and on the, the pens and lips of the prophets. It's like a, a mother giving birth. It's labor. Something about this was hard and painful. But look at the result. Look at it and how much he loves it. How much he loves it. Even without sin. Well, of course, he loves it. He loves it dearly. So much so. And then sin enters, which you know you can't do without. I know we have a mark here. It says Genesis 2, verse 1, but it doesn't, the story doesn't end there. The story ends, you know, I mean, reasonably speaking, somewhere after chapter 3, where you get him thrown out of the out of paradise there, you know. But he, he loves it so much. He's willing to do so much for it, to it, and all for good, you know, all for good. And we and we just finished studying first, second, and third John. And there's that theme throughout about it does bring up the realities of the world, like you said, the brokenness and the um the groaning, the the uh, uh, uh the, the devil and his work. And it brings us back when you read John, and like you said, you, the theology really rings true here in, in, in creation. There's a constant understanding of love for the world. He doesn't say that the world is perfect, you know, but he uh -huh. does the love for the world. For And it goes back to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Um, uh, and this is love, not that, that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that connection of he 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 pours him, his love into this. He loves it so much he pours himself into it, which is that understanding of the cross as well that he is willing even to give his son for it. And I think that the connections are there absolutely everywhere. And Pastor, we have one minute left, so how do you want to wrap this all together 
for our listeners and encourage them in Christ? Well, at first, I think that you and I did a great job of answering every question there is about Genesis 1. It's, it's over. It's all <laughs> <Yep>. over. <laughs> a thousand years from now, they'll just refer to this uh, this uh, broadcast. No, I think it's important uh, to to note that, look, if you, if you hew very closely, cleave, to the language that the rest of the Bible uses with reference to Genesis, uh, the early parts of Genesis, you're going to be just fine. And it, you'll be confident, I think, in what you say. Now, it doesn't say that there aren't challenges that aren't, that aren't going to befuddle you, but I think that you, you kind of have to work at it. But the confidence here is that this is Christological. This has to do with the Christ, his love, his authority. And when you stick close to that, you won't go wrong. And that's good. Very good. Very good. Pastor David Duke of Concordia Lutheran Church and St. John Lutheran Church near Buffalo, New York, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 1. Pastor Duke, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You're welcome. My pleasure. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <music>